Hi folks, this is Mom Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another edition uh, of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 30 uh, of the Jesus Society Podcast, and uh, today we're going to talk about fear and finding freedom uh, with respect to fear. And this is this is kind of a timely thing for me, um, and I'm, I'm going to talk, I'll, I'll tell you why here quickly, and then I'm going to come back and tell you some other pieces of this as we move through this today. Um, we had a, uh, <laughs> so we moved into this house we live in, in 2016, and um, we have had intermittent problems with our septic system. We live out in the country, kind of, so um, we don't have uh, city sewer, so we have a septic system. And uh, if you've ever had septic systems, you know that they can act up once in a while. Uh, ours is exacerbated by the fact that our, our ground is mostly level and it is mostly clay, which does not absorb uh, water very easily. So if we get an awful lot of rain, which we do occasionally here in uh, southern middle Tennessee, um, the ground it gets saturated by the rain and it just won't absorb the stuff that the septic system is trying to move out in there. Anyway, so we had some problems this week. And we ended up having to have uh, our yard dug up and some um, some new uh, some new pipes installed out in the yard. And it wasn't a whole new septic system, but uh, anyway, so there was some fear uh, around all that with regard to cost. But we'll I'll get into that um, a little more um, as we as we move into this. But we all have our fears, don't we? Um, you know, maybe maybe you're afraid of being alone. Maybe you're afraid of being rejected. Um, maybe your greatest fear is the fear of the unknown or of the future or of dying. The point is we all have our fears. Uh, we all have those things that make us afraid. But for some of us, fear can become crippling, debilitating. Uh, paralyzing. Uh, you've you've probably all heard the statement um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt made in 1933 uh, to a nation in the grip of a of the Great Depression. Um, this is part of a much larger speech, but the the part of it that everybody remembers is this part. He said, "Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself." nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Yeah, well, we, we know what he's talking about, don't we? So, so let's name some of those kinds of fears. And, and this isn't any kind of exhaustive list, but, but here's a kind of a list of some common things that either I have dealt with myself or that I have personally known uh, others who have. Um, the fear of embarrassment, fear of um, never getting married uh, or, or being alone, uh, fear of being uh, worthless or useless or hopeless or, or something like that, fear of not being loved, uh, being unlovable, not worthy of love, fear of failure, 
fear of conflict or confrontation, fear of rejection, fear of being vulnerable, or fear of financial problems or, or poverty, fear of, fear of the future, or fear of death. And I want to say at the outset here that, that living with those kinds of, of just debilitating fears is not part of the life God wants for his children. So we're going to try uh, today and unravel some things related to fear and hopefully get us moving in a healthy direction. But, but before we do that, we kind of need to understand some things about fear. We, we need to understand what fear is. So th- there's different kinds of fear, right? Um, th- there, is, there is good, good and healthy fear. Um, not all fear is bad. Fear can be a very good thing, and we need to understand that. It was given to us by God to kind of protect us and preserve us. Um, most of us wouldn't be alive if we didn't have that, that kind of inherent fear of things that God has blessed us with. You don't go jumping into a, a raging torrent of a river uh, for a swim because you may well drown, right? So you, 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 you don't get right up on the edge of a cliff <laughs> unless you're a rock climber. Um, because, like we, we understand the inherent dangers of that, and we, we all, uh, at some level or another, we, f- we feel fear that protects us, helps us not to get into bad situations. Those things are, that, those things are good, they're useful, they're worth paying attention to. Some fears we have to develop, um, some fears we have to learn. Um, that's why when you're the parents of little children, you spend a whole lot of time protecting them from hurting themselves because they haven't learned how to do that themselves. They haven't learned yet some things that they need to be afraid of. But here's the thing. Healthy fear is based on truth. You're afraid of something because you should be afraid of it, right? The problem is, as we grow older and as we learn to fear, too often those those fears can paralyze us and can cause us to not be able to function as we would like to be function, as we would like to function. And those, those fears become irrational and debilitating fear. And that's the other kind of fear. There's good, healthy fear, and then there's irrational or debilitating or paralyzing fear. Um, my dad had a tremendous fear of heights. And he told me one, something one time, and I thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But I have since confirmed this. This is a real thing. A lot of people, um, if, they're, if they're forced to be up someplace high uh, and, and they have a fear of height, they'll just jump off, um, even if they die, right? Even if they're on a, a skyscraper or something. Makes no sense. Right? If you're afraid of heights, why on earth would you jump from a high place? Well, my dad told me, um, and he said, if, if you're afraid of heights and you're forced to be up someplace high, that, that fear is so debilitating that the only thing you can think of, the, the only thing that, that occupies your thoughts is, I got to get down, got to get down, got to get down. And even though it makes no earthly sense, it's not logical. The quickest way to get down is to jump. And so p- people do that sometimes. Now, that's, 
That is not a rational fear. But at the same time, for people like my dad, it is so real to them that it has a very real effect on your life and what you're able to do and not do every day. Okay, uh, my dad, um, my dad uh, did not come to our wedding, um, and the the big reason uh, there were probably a few others, but uh, we won't get into that now. But one of the big reasons is we were getting married in Texas, and he lived in Pennsylvania, and everybody else was flying. He was at a point he had arthritis, so driving in a car that long distance just wasn't really an option. And he was so scared of heights, he could not get in a plane. So he didn't come, didn't come to our wedding. Again, it's not rational, but a lot of people suffer from that and things like that. But just like healthy fears are based on truth, irrational fears are not based on truth. They're based on false belief systems. For instance, I told you about our our septic system uh, woes a minute ago. What I didn't tell you was that I was absolutely terrified about all this. We we don't have a lot of money. Um, we're we're not wealthy by any by any means. Um, never have been. We've been in ministry most of my career, and you just don't you know unless you're some some big monster church and high high profile guy, you just don't make a lot of money in ministry. Um, so huge expenses are always stressful for us. But I knew that this septic thing, this could easily, depending on what was wrong with it, you know, and you can't tell until you get in there, this could have easily been a $6,000 cost to, to repair. And we just, we just didn't have that kind of money. Um, so I was, I was paralyzed because, you know, you call the guy and he comes out and then you find out that you're in for six thousand dollars and you don't have that like what do you do right you know so so I was paralyzed uh, for about three days I was um, I, I did not call the guy we were having problems I, I did not call him for three days terrified that we would be trapped into having to pay for something we didn't have the money for the false beliefs that were rolling around in my head were legion um, things like, you know, we're going to find out it costs more than we can afford. We won't be able to fix it. We're we're going to have to build an outhouse. We're going to have to take our laundry to a laundromat. We won't be able to have people over to our house anymore because no one wants to use an outhouse. Um, and, you know, and then the self-pity kind of stuff. We're not as well off as as most people seem to be, which of course means I'm a, I'm a failure as a provider, which of course means I'm a worthless human being, and on and on and on. You see, and mentally at least for me, more so for me than for my wife, who is always better at things than I am. (laughs) But I was starting to spin out of control. And I will tell you how I pulled out of that loop in just a bit. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but in a way, we tend to actually worship the opposite of what we fear. For instance, if you fear failure you kind of tend to worship success. If you fear conflict, you will kind of worship peace. And so we end up worshiping things that we have no business worshiping. So for a lot of us, we've just spent a lot of time ruled by fear. 
And the choices we make are, are often driven by fear. But God wants us to be free from all that, from the, from the irrational and debilitating kinds of fear. Now, I want to be very careful about how I talk about all this here. Um, I, I would love to tell you that there is a way to live in which you'll never have an irrational fear, that you can move through life totally confident, confident, utterly fearless. But I just don't think that's true. Um, I, I have long since reconciled myself to the fact that there are, there are going to be things that I'm always going to be afraid of. Um, in fact, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more things I find to fear. And I think that's because the older I get, the more that I'm aware of all the ways things can go wrong, right? Because you've got some experience. But I've reconciled myself to the fact that I'm, I'm never going to find myself in a perfect circumstance or in a perfect situation, situation where I will never have anything to fear. You, you can't escape fear. You, you can't. Um, the only thing you can do is learn to deal with fear. And you can learn to live in a way that fear does not control you, that you're not a slave to fear. And that's what I think God wants us to, to, to find a place to, okay? And what I have come to see and understand, and it is a life-transforming truth for me, and I think it will be for you too, is that in a lot of ways, like, there's a spiritual reality behind everything, right? Um, circumstances aren't just circumstances. There's, there's a spiritual reality to everything. And if you can learn to... to to appreciate that, you can um, you can come to the point where it doesn't make any difference what our circumstances are. It doesn't make any circumstances don't make any difference. Okay, the only thing that really matters, the controlling factor in all this, is who is with us. And over and over again in Scripture, literally dozens and dozens of times throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament, in passages, for instance, like Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, just one of many instances like this, God will say, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. In fact, one of the most common things God says to man throughout Scripture is, do not be afraid. And folks, that's a, that's a truth we need to hang our hats on. It's a, it's a truth we need to grab hold of and hold close to our hearts. It is a life-transforming, absolute transforming truth that we don't need to be afraid because our God is with us. Because here's the thing, and it goes back to something I talk about a lot. You're going to hear something you've heard before. There's a passage in Matthew 8, 26, that I think is important here. Um, Jesus and the disciples are, are crossing the sea in a boat in a, and a storm comes up, right? You remember that story? The disciples are scared witless, but Jesus is asleep in a cushion on the back. And they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us. We're, we're going to die. And Jesus says this. He says, why are you afraid, you of little faith? 
So Jesus links fear with a lack of faith. But there's more to all this than just that, okay? Um, we're we're going we're gonna to come back and talk about that a little more in a second. But we, we certainly don't want to belittle people in their fear and just say, come on, man, have more faith. People have done that before. But the other piece in kind of understanding all this comes from a passage, I, I think, in 1 John 4, 8. John says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. He says the one who fears is not complete in love. So John makes it clear here that the the antidote to fear is love. And and, And I think he's talking about the love God has for you. That is the force that disarms fear. Because his great love just will not abandon you in the face of fearful situations. And so in Matthew 8, 26, when Jesus says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. We need to understand what what faith is, right? Faith, if you understand it the way I do, faith is trust coupled with allegiance, okay? And when when we see it in that light, we see that the management strategy for fear is trust. So, so the antidote for fear is love, specifically God's love for us. That's the antidote for fear. But the way we manage fear is trust. Okay? So in the face of fear, we remind ourselves of God's great love for us. And if you wonder about that, there's scriptures all over the Bible that affirm God's love for us. So in the face of fear, we remind ourselves of God's great love for us. And then in light of that, because we believe that, because we know that God loves us, we trust him. And because we trust him, we obey him. Because we will never obey one who we do not trust, and we will never trust one who we're not convinced loves us. You heard that before? (laughs) That's my little mantra. So again, what is important is not the circumstances in which we find ourselves. What is important is the one who loves us and stands with us and stands beside us. That is what important. What is important. That is what matter, matters. And I want to illustrate that from some stories which are very familiar to us in Scripture. Uh, for instance... Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, as we look at David's confrontation with Goliath, when David uh, marches down in the va- into the valley of Ephes Damim, uh, and he faces off with Goliath, Goliath, if you'll notice, David walks down there, and, and it looks like he's he just got such absolute courage. Um, and the question is, how? What is it that allowed David to march out there and face Goliath with that kind of confidence? Was it the fact that God had spoken to him and said, look, David, don't worry about this. I'm going to go with you. Um, everything will be fine. You just go out and face that giant. No, God had not said that. Was it the fact that God had appeared to him in a vision like he had you know, earlier to jo- Joshua and stood there as a soldier with a sword and said, You go on out. I'm going to be with you. Everything's going to be fine. No, God didn't do that either. If you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 17, you'll see that God is both silent and he is invisible. 
when David marches down into that valley. He is silent and he is invisible. He has not spoken to David. He has not appeared to David. And yet, David marches down into that valley totally confident that just as the Lord had been with him in the past when he confronted the lion and the bear, he says, the Lord is going to be with him when he marches down into that valley to face that blasphemous giant. And that's the key, you see. David had a track record with God. And so do you. So do you. The fear that paralyzed the army of Israel was that they failed to understand who was with them and who had been with them for years and years and years. Remember, they came out of Egypt and enemy after enemy after enemy that they faced, the Lord was with them and they had victory, right? But now they've forgotten that. They've forgotten their track record. Out of that whole army, the only one not paralyzed was that kid who understood that God was with him. And as long as God was with him, the circumstances he faced didn't make any difference. And so David marched down into that valley with, you know, the, the, the giant Goliath is armored up and he's got, you know, he just looks like his imposing figure. David tries on the armor, says, no, this ain't working for me. He takes off the armor and he gathers up a couple of um, smooth stones from the, so he, he marches out against this armored up giant warrior with no armor and with a couple of smooth stones he pulled out of the brook in a sling. And he killed that giant. But he didn't do it on his own. And, and understand, David, David was not a fool here. He, wasn't, um, he didn't just come up on some wild idea and, hey, let's go do something crazy or stupid or selfish. That's not what David was doing and expecting God to be with me. You know, I'm going to go do some nutsy thing just because I had a whim and uh, but God loves me so he's going to be with me. That's not how this worked. David was defending that which he knew God valued and loved. Israel. Again, because he knew God. And that truth aligned him with God and gave him confidence. So how about another? <clears throat> Excuse me. In the book of Daniel, chapter 6, Daniel finds himself thrown into this lion's den. And remember, this, this edict has gone out that he's not to pray to anybody but to the king. Well, Daniel's not going to obey that edict. And he continues to pray to the Lord. And he pays the price. He gets thrown into this lion's den. Now, under, under, under those circumstances, why did Daniel continue to pray to the Lord? Why did he remain faithful? Why didn't he buckle under this tremendous tremendous pressure to, to cave and maybe preserve his life? Why did he stay faithful? Because just like David, if you'll go back and look at Daniel chapter 6, you'll find the same thing again. God is both silent and invisible. There's no indication that God speaks to Daniel and says, Daniel, if you just go ahead and stay faithful and continue to pray to me, I will protect you and I'll watch out for you. I don't see it. It doesn't say that. 
Nowhere do we find God visibly appearing to Daniel and assuring Daniel of his presence. See, sometimes I think we read these stories and we think, well, you know, God was more real to those people then. Like he, like he, he you know, he told them, he appeared to them, he did all this stuff. Not always. Those people had to rely on the same faith that God asks us to rely on, right? God doesn't come out most of the time and promise people, hey, you're about to face a challenge. If you just do it my way, everything's going to be fine. God hardly ever does that. So your circumstances and mine today are really no different, okay? So... Daniel is is confident, and he is so confident of God's presence because Daniel knows God, and he's doing what's right. You see, he's confident of God's presence because he knows God, and he trusts God, and he's doing what is right. And if that means being thrown into a lion's den, okay, and he's thrown into the lion's den, and God is with him. And if you read that story, and this is the part I always love, and I, I don't hear too many other people mentioning You'll notice that the king who has him thrown into the lion's den spends a sleepless night. And there is no indication that Daniel didn't get a good night's rest right there in the lion's den. Circumstances didn't have a thing to do with Daniel's security. Who was with Daniel had everything to do with Daniel's security. And Daniel knew that. Okay, one more. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 25, this is New Testament now. Here are Paul and Silas. They've been thrown into this jail in Philippi. They don't deserve to be there. They haven't done anything wrong. They've made some people angry who are in business there. And as a consequence of that, they're thrown into jail. And not only are they thrown into jail, they're literally locked up while they're in jail. And here they are, and it's midnight. And what are they doing? They're singing. And they're praying. They are having a a devotional in the Philippian jail at midnight. Why? Because of their absolute, utter confidence that God loves them and they can trust him no matter what. And again, go back and read the account. God has not told them, I'm going to deliver you out of this prison. He hasn't said to them, Look, I'm going to send an earthquake and it's going to shake those stocks off your hands and your feet and it's going to open up the doors and you're going to be able to walk out and you're going to be fine and you're going to be vindicated. In fact, you're going to baptize the jailer. They haven't been told any of that. All they know is that they're doing what the Lord told them to do and that God loves them. And while silent and invisible, God is right there with them. And the confirmation of that is what comes after. They are, they are not intimidated by the circumstances in which they find themselves because they know who's with them. And so in Mark's account of Jesus and the apostles on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, Mark chapter 4, that we talked about a, a, a little bit ago, things are looking bad and the apostles cry out uh, the words of the old hymn that some of us used to sing. You know, you remember this, remember this song? Lord, carest thou not that we perish? How can you lie asleep? Remember that old hymn? You should look that up if you don't know it. That's what they cry out to him. Don't you care that we're about to die? How can you just stay there asleep? And Jesus gets up and what's he say? He'll look around and he'll say, hush, be quiet. 
peace, be still. And just like that, it is as calm as a mill pond. And the apostles learn a very important lesson there. They begin to see and understand that here they are in the boat in the middle of the storm, and it looks like they're going to sink. But they are in the safest place they could possibly be. At that moment, there are not 12 safer people on the face of the earth than those 12 guys who think they're going to drown in that boat because Jesus is with them. And in light of that, in light of that truth, circumstances don't matter. They don't count. What matters is the presence of the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, there is no way they're going to drown. And they don't. Now, we could stop there, but there's, we're missing something, right? So what about those times when God is with us and things don't work out wonderfully? When he doesn't set us free from prison? When he doesn't heal us of a disease? When he lets our beloved relative die? What about the times when he's with us and we die. Because sometimes that happens, right? I mean, I wouldn't be honest if I said otherwise. If I, if I paint the picture that every time you go through something bad, don't worry, God's going to be with you, everything's going to be all right, that would not be honest. And it's not like Scripture ignores that, right? For instance, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been speaking boldly to the Sanhedrin and telling them, You're not only responsible for the crucifixion of the Messiah, but your attitude is reflective of a whole history of the rejection of God's will. And he makes the council so angry that they're grinding their teeth and they're taking up stones to stone him. And it is only when they're taking him out to stone him to death that Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the throne of God. The whole time he's standing before the council, the whole time he's, he's speaking to them and laying his life on the line, and he knows he is. He knows he is. As he, as he preaches that message to them that he's, that, he's, that, he's doing, that he's preaching to them, the whole time, again, God is silent and God is invisible. And it's not until they drag, drag him off to stone him to death that he sees with his eyes what has been true all along. And that is that Jesus is standing there, watching intently, deeply concerned about what is about to happen to this beloved child of God. And Stephen dies, but he does not die alone. God is there with him. Do the circumstances matter? He's about to die, but the circumstances don't matter in light of who's there, the fact that God is there with him, beside him, caring for him. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10, as Jesus talks to the church in Smyrna, he says something I think is pretty revealing. He says, don't be afraid about what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you and you will experience affliction for 10 days. But be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
So he says, ahead of, he says, I'm telling you ahead of time, you're about to be thrown into prison. Get ready. It's going to happen. You're about to suffer great pressure. That's the, the, the idea behind the word affliction. Great crushing pressure. You're about to feel pressure like you've never felt before. And it's going to go on and on and on. And some of you are going to die for your faith. But Jesus says, and don't miss this. Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. How on earth can he say that? Because of the principle that God has been sharing with us through 65 books previous to this 66th book. And that is that what matters is not the circumstances in which you find yourself. What matters is your relationship with the Lord. What matters is that if the Lord is with you, don't worry about the circumstance. It's going to be okay. Whether you live and prevail or whether you die and prevail, you're going to prevail. The only thing that matters is who's with you. And, and you can read this and see it, but God so very much wants you to experience it because that is what really changes us. When you can draw, not just on the words of Scripture, but on a personal track record that you have had with the Lord over years of following Him intently. Somewhere between 155 and 160 A.D., there was a, a disciple of the Apostle John uh, named Polycarp. And he was the uh, the bishop of Smyrna, and Smyrna was is is the the place where today today it's the modern city of Izmir, Turkey. Polycarp was martyred by the Romans, who set him on fire when he refused to burn incense to the Roman emperor emperor emperor. But just before they lit the fire, Polycarp is recorded to have said these words about Jesus. He said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you're ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. So why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Polycarp, like generations of Christians before and after, was able to face life and death without fear because he had a track record of experience with God's loves, God's love. And so he knew, in spite of all the sensory evidence to the contrary, that everything was going to be just fine. Whether he lived or whether he died, he was going to be okay. That's why Paul will say at the end of Romans chapter 8, there is neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor any other th created thing that shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And you see, in the, in the midst of that kind of trust, circumstances don't matter. What does matter is the one you follow, the one who loves you and the one who holds your hand because the Lord is with you. And the Lord is going to take care of you no matter what.
Your job is to follow him. My job is to follow him, to relate to him, to, 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 to crave and seek intimacy with him. And out of that intimacy, out of that relationship, will grow faith and trust and courage to be able to face this kind of stuff. Now, back to our septic issues this week. What pulled me out of my self-defeating, hopeless loop of despair was the realization that God loves us. And God does not lead us in despair. Like I, I had to do some self-talk throughout this, I, I, which I do frequently, right, when I get spun up about things. I, I, I stopped and I said, okay, you're being afraid of something. You haven't even talked to the Lord about all this. What's the truth here? And that's the place to start. Ask yourself, what's the truth? The truth is that God loves me. I know he loves me. The, the truth is also that he's a loving father who, who provides for his children and takes care of his children. Scripture says he loves to give good gifts to his children. Jesus says, why do you worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat? The Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Why do you worry about septic issues? God knows you need them. And I was imagine, sitting there wallowing in my junk, imagining that this was going to be this horrible, massive, overwhelming problem, which is what we always do, right? We always imagine the, the very worst. But in the midst of, of, of all that, I realized God loves us. So we prayed to the Lord, and we told Him that we needed Him to provide a solution. I didn't want to have to get into a bind where we had to call our relatives and beg for money or, 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 or anything like that and be a burden on anyone else. We didn't want to do that. So we asked him in his great love to help this not, not to cost more than we could bear. That was our prayer. We didn't say, Lord, give us $6,000. We, we prayed, help our resources to equal the problem or our problem to equal our resources. We affirmed our trust in him and our belief that he is a good and loving father who takes care of his children. And then I took a deep breath and I made the phone call. I called the septic guy. He came out and he fixed our, was able to fix our, our system. We didn't get a whole new system. But it cost exactly what we had available to spend. It didn't end in disaster. Now, you can look at that and you can say, ah, it's just coincidence. It's not the way I look at it. I look at it as God superintending our circumstances and giving us what we need when we need it. And I got a lot of stories I can tell you about that. Do not be afraid, Jesus says, because I am with you. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll be with us again next week. As always, we would appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. If this is a if this is an episode that that resonates with you, please share it. Um, let it resonate with somebody else too. Um, if you enjoy the show, please uh, subscribe or rate us or review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you go. You know, 
Um, please visit us on our Facebook group. Um, just search Jesus Society Podcast, and I'm sure you'll find it. Feel free to suggest topics for episodes, ask questions. I'm going to put out a call right now. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is also a, a listener, and uh, I'm going to put out a call right now. So if you listen to this, go to our Jesus Society Facebook page, post a picture. If you're not a member, ask for membership, and, and we'll let you in. Post a picture of, of what you do or where you are when you're listening to the podcast. I think that'd be fun. Um, my, my friend kind of talked this into me uh, or talked me into this, whatever. Anyway, do that. Go to our Facebook group. Um, feel free to suggest topics, uh, ask questions, uh, ask, uh, share your own story. We, um, I always love to hear other people's stories of, of their walk with God and how God is, is, is loving you and transforming you. Uh, check out our website too. All of our back issues uh, or back episodes are available on our website, thejesussociety.com. And uh, even when they disappear from iTunes and I, or wherever, and I don't know how, they don't hold all episodes forever, but you'll be able to find them there. Thanks for listening. And remember, you are greatly loved.